Uh, kids, uh, we're going to be uh, spending some time um, on these Sunday morning services talking about the Holy Spirit. And today, especially, uh, we're uh, going to be telling a big story of the Bible. We're going to be talking about a number of different episodes or stories or parts of the Bible that all are coming to um, a, a, a big picture of God um, forming a place for his people to live in his presence. And I want you to listen for that, and I want you to think about how that can make a difference in the way you live, um, as well as just the big people around you. Listen to the big story as we look at a lot of little stories from the Bible today. Genesis chapter 1, we'll be uh, reading verse 1 through 5, will not be expositing phrase by phrase here so much as, as speaking about the, uh, the work of the Spirit throughout the story of redemption, creation and redemption. This is God's Word. Genesis chapter 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering, brooding over the face of the waters. The Holy Spirit is surprisingly personal. We think of God the Father, and we think of him as a good parent, uh, one who has compassion on us, one who hears our prayers. We think of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, our Savior. We call him Shepherd, Savior. Friend, spouse, husband. And God the Holy Spirit seems less personal to us than do either Father or the Son. The Holy Spirit seems mysterious to us. Part of that could be that Holy Ghost language. That doesn't help. Jesus comforted his disciples. Remember, he said, it is better that I go. I will send the Spirit and he will be with you and in you. We need this Spirit. We need to know him. We need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to keep in step with the Spirit. We need to avoid grieving the Spirit. We need to know Him. And we are starting in this series in the Old Testament, 
and I am reminded of some phrases from B.B. Warfield that I am simplifying for this discussion. And, and he says, he says, imagine the Old Testament to be like a dark room that is covered, that is furnished with all kinds of intricate and beautiful pictures and couches and, 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 and vases and all these beautiful things, but it's a dark room. You cannot really see them. You can barely make them out. If you turn on the light, you can see them clearly. It's not that they magically appear, but you are able to see them now. And the Trinity, especially the ministry of the Holy Spirit, is like that. It is clear when we turn to the pages of the New Testament. We see that with great clarity. But here, even in this text this morning, we see... We see shapes. We see dim mention of the Spirit. Hard to really discern all that's going on, not only here, but in the rest of the Old Testament. And then we have that phrase from John, which was our call to worship. We, he was, Jesus was referring to the ministry of the Spirit who had not yet been given. He was not. He had not yet been given. And yet he does show up dimly uh, in these pages. The Holy Spirit is surprisingly personal. Second point of introduction here is that he is a person and not a force, as some have said. Uh, Even the words in our text, Elohim Ruach, uh, Spirit of God. We must keep in mind that that word uh, for spirit there is also the same word for wind in the Old Testament. Uh, It is the word used for breath or, or for air in motion, wind. And some have even gone so far as to say that it is not the Holy Spirit that is hovering over that primordial soup in verse 2, but it is an almighty wind or a wind of God that is blowing over that that formless waste. It would seem, some would say, that it's a bit much to imagine that Moses could have handled a God that uh, was uh, had two persons, let alone three. The clearest Old Testament text about the personhood of the Holy Spirit is in Isaiah 63. You may wish to turn to that, and you also may, may wish to make a mental note of it. This is a very important text in understanding the personhood of the Holy Spirit, even back in the Old Testament. God had redeemed his people. He had carried Israel, but they had rebelled. And not only had they rebelled, we see in verse 10 and 14, they had grieved the Spirit. They had grieved the Spirit. You can only grieve a person, not a force. Paul himself warns us about grieving the Spirit. In, in the end of, of Ephesians chapter 4, he says that your words, your, your bitterness, can grieve the Spirit. Does grieving even occur to you? Do you grieve that you bring him grief? He is a person. He is not a force. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit is described in many of the ancient writings from the church fathers down to this day. 
The Holy Spirit is called the Lord and giver of life. The giver of life. As we said earlier, the third person of the Trinity, along with the Father and the Son, are all three equal in power and in glory. And yet they certainly have different roles. Um, the, the Spirit, as the giver of life, has been described wisely, I think, as the executive agent governing God's creation. The one who works uh, in keeping with the will of the Father to govern, control, manage all that has been made. God is at work in the world. God is at work in you. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. The breath of life, the power, the energy, the activity of God. He is at work everywhere and at all times from the beginning until today and into the future when he will, when he will bring about the new heavens and the new earth. The Holy Spirit is the giver of life. My theme for today is the Spirit works to form a people fit for God's presence. The Spirit works to form a people fit for God's presence. So the Spirit of God is at work in creation. Here, in in our text, the Spirit is forming a place for a people to live in the presence of God. Creation is about a place. Now, the first, uh, wor- the first verse in our text, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, uh, is what we would uh, re- refer to. And if you want to get points with the people in, or in your neighborhood, you want to throw some Latin around, you can just go up to them and say, Ex nihilo. What do you say about that? Ex nihilo. That's impressive. It's God refers to God's creation out of nothing. God spoke and he created the heavens and the earth. He created all things from nothing. You could call this absolute creation. And then you have, uh, you have uh, uh, that is in phase one of that creation then, is, is uh, completed and described in verse two. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. It was a formless, empty darkness. It was a, a slimy, muddy environment which the earth, uh, the, this, the ground or, or substance and water couldn't even be distinguished, all mixed up together. It was a yucky mess. And you couldn't live there. So it is exactly the kind of place that the Holy Spirit would do his work. And so the text goes on to say that the Spirit is hovering or brooding over that still unformed earth to create a place, a habitable environment. With his infinite power, he is making a perfect home. Now, the rest of the chapter, verses 3 through 31, is describing um, the disordered chaos is becoming a well-ordered cosmos. The disordered chaos is becoming a well and beautiful and well-ordered Cosmos. We're not going to get into all those details today, but there is there, there, the, the, the text discusses um, the work of, of separation. The light is separated from the darkness. 
the, the waters above are separated from the waters beneath. The dry land and the, the seas are, are separated from one another. And then in the next three days, the creatures that inhabit those various realms are, are made, stars and planets. And then the fish of the sea and then animals for the land. All of the natural resources are being made here in order to create fertile South Jersey farmland. Just exactly what the world needs as the breadbasket. And it's a perfect temperature in this new world. Kids, what do you like best about God's work? What do you think, what do you think is the best the Spirit has done in making this lovely world? Just think about that. Praise Him for it. Maybe it's the, the hunting marshes that we see in our region. Just perfect for some. The Spirit is forming a place, an environment. He's, do, he's doing that in order also to create a people. Let us make God, let us make man in our own image. That word Elohim uh, is uh, is a plural uh, a, a plural noun, and it is later understood to include the work of the Trinity. The Father would be speaking to the Spirit here, who had been hovering over the earth, and John would tell us that the Son, the, that God the Son, was in on this as well. Through Him, the Word, through Him, all things were made. Chapter 1 goes on to describe God making man in his own image uh, and, uh, in, and making them male and female. And so, young children especially, ch- children especially, you may speak to people who think you are unwise, even foolish, for believing that there are just two sexes, male and female. Do not be embarrassed about this at all. God created male and female two distinct sexes without leakage from one category to another, without one sex uh, becoming blurred, without the sexes becoming blurred. Uh, Chapter 2 slows down the description and it talks about God forming Adam from the dust of the ground and the Spirit breathed into him the breath of life. And then later, later, um, the woman would be made from the rib of Adam. Again, God dividing, separating two sexes that are beautifully different. And then from these two, Adam and Eve, all mankind was created. And then uh, the difference, the division quickly takes place. The serpent would have his children The woman would have her descendants, her seed. And so even here, God is at work. The Spirit is at work creating, dividing people in order to to make that people of God becoming the body of Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. There is that separation among people that is going on as well. And then finally, the Spirit has created a place. It has created people But the goal of it is to live in God's presence. And this garden was a perfect environment. Perfect not just because of its beauty, but because God lived there. And we can read from the rest of Scripture that it is is thought of in the Scripture as a temple, the dwelling place of God where, where, where man, where woman would meet with God, walk with God in that garden. 
In fact, the text says that God would be walking back and forth in the garden, which is the same language that he uses describing God's, God's walking back and forth in the tabernacle as after that, that structure is built. It describes God in his temple. And Adam himself was charged uh, to serve and to guard the garden as priests were commanded to guard the tabernacle and keep those unclean things out. Of course, Adam failed and the the snake, the great contaminator, uh, entered the garden and he talked to the snake instead of crushing the snake and, and casting the snake out. Still, it was a temple. God dwelling with his people. Later, the later temple would be decorated in garden decor. Carved flowers on the the walls, reminding people that this was was to be a, a, a recollection of Eden, the dwelling place of God, a symbolic garden, but it also looked forward to the new heavens and the new earth, which would be described in Revelation as both a city but also a garden with a river running right through it as the rivers ran outside of Eden. God, the Spirit, is working to form a people fit for God's presence. This is the story of creation, but there are other stories in the the Old Testament that support this and build on this story, and one is the Exodus. Now, Egypt was a womb. A womb is, is that organ that a woman has in which she may grow another human being. And Egypt was a womb for the children of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to grow into a great number of people. And then the Spirit would lead them out of Egypt. And we see in the Song of Moses, and I'm going to turn with this, we'll be here for just a moment, I would encourage you to look at at Deuteronomy 32 with me, uh, verses 10 and 11, where the Spirit is leading Israel out of Egypt, and then there is almost a retelling of the story of creation. Except for in this case, it is God God rescuing, the Spirit rescuing the people of Israel from Egypt and and bringing them, moving them towards the promised land. In, In verse 10, uh, he found uh, he found him Israel in a desert land and in a howling waste of the wilderness. This is the same word, and it's only used in in uh, Genesis one verse two and in Deuteronomy thirty two. It's the only only places in Moses' writing that uses this word for howling waste or formless wasteland. And he's saying, think back to think back to uh, the creation. Think back to the chaos uh, in Genesis, that formless wasteland. Let's go on. He encircled him, verse 10. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young. The same word for the spirit brooding over or hovering over the the primordial soup at at creation in in Genesis 1, verse 2. The eagle flutters over its young as the Holy Spirit hovers over, hovers over um, 
the creation in its chaos, but also over Israel as he is in the process of rescuing them. A new creation is coming, taking them to a new place, taking them to the promised land. And so the Spirit is also then guiding and protecting Israel. At every point here, see that it is the Spirit who is the executive agent of of power for the living God. The Shekinah glory protected the Israelites from the Egyptians. It led them into the wilderness. It would finally settle in a tabernacle. The Shekinah glory would find its location in the most holy place, in the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God. Later, it would fill the temple as it was built. And it was a visible visible representation of the presence of God. Emmanuel, God with us in this Shekinah glory. And yet Israel, with their habitual disobedience, grieved the Spirit. And then Ezekiel had that awful vision, that that moment, that Echabod moment, where the Spirit departed from the temple. The Spirit was seen in his vision ascending and just lifting away, leaving God's people behind. A horrible time. But the Spirit promised also to come back to a new temple, a a new dwelling place of God. And the next time we do hear of the Spirit, we read in the beginning of the Gospels that the power of the Most High overshadowed. The power of the Most High, the Holy Spirit, overshadowed Mary. And when the Spirit comes upon a person, listen to this, that person houses the Spirit, for the Spirit's purposes. And so the Son of God was formed. The Spirit came upon Mary. She was housed by the Spirit for the Spirit's purposes. And the, and the outcome of that was God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of, of God that was born. So Jesus, the human being, is adapted by the Spirit to house the Spirit forever. Jesus is the dwelling place of God in his incarnation. And in the incarnation, the new creation begins. We'll talk about this in a couple of weeks. So this very briefly. God pours out the Spirit, and the church becomes the dwelling place of God on earth. People are united to him. People are indwelt by the Spirit. We become living stones. We are living stones of a living temple, the very presence of God. And yet more is to come. Jesus will come back in glory. He will come back and and make a garden perfect this time. The city in in, in Revelation, which is also a garden. In all of this, the Spirit works to form a people fit for his presence. Now that's some beautiful theology. Some beautiful teaching. And I want to draw out uh, two main points of application for for you from from this theme. The Spirit works to form a people fit for God's presence. The first thing is this. (laughs) View other people. View other believers 
as the Spirit's glory projects. The person you're sitting next to, those in your home, friends of yours here at church, think of them as the Spirit's glory projects. I want to uh, quote from uh, a great essay by C.S. Lewis. It's called The Weight of Glory. This is towards the end of that essay. And I'm sorry for my dry throat. Hang on a minute. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw him now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or, or else a horror and a corruption, such as if you meet now, it would be only in a nightmare. All day long, we are, in some degree, helping each other uh, to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. G-N-A-T. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Now I want you to think about the people in your life and imagine them as one over whom the Spirit is hovering. The Spirit is brooding. The Spirit is at work. Only He is inside of us. The power of God residing on the inside. He's fluttering over you, one another. And this is the beautiful part. He's making your mess into something beautiful. That's his work. That's what he loves to do. So we are to be people of great patience. The people that you get irritated with do not live in accordance with your timetable. Hear this. They live according to the timetable of the Spirit. He's in them. He's at work. You're not. The second thing is humility. Uh, we don't try to control one another. 
We don't try to control a spouse or a child. We do help them to a destination. We encourage them in the beauty of Jesus. We encourage them to a life that is lovely and beautiful in His holiness. We encourage them. We cannot mandate to them. And thirdly here is we don't give up. If you believe in the Holy Spirit, you don't give up on anyone. If you believe in the Holy Spirit, this is the executive agent of God's power. The living power of God hovering over, indwelling you and your loved ones. You don't give up on anyone. (laughs) You pray. You pray that they would see more of the beauty of the Spirit. But then you relax. And you love them. You pray. Relax. And love. So you view others as the Spirit's glory projects. Second thing. Start with yourself. The Spirit is hovering and fluttering and brooding over you, making your mess into something beautiful. You may look at your heart and you may say, it's not changing much. In fact, sometimes I even think it's getting worse. And you enter then the chaos that the Spirit will be working in, ongoing, the Spirit working to renew. Here's a prayer. I suggest that was we appropriate for every one of us. Change me. Help me not to be a slave to my own selfishness. How about that one right there? Help me. Change me. Help me not to be a slave to my own selfishness. Two more prayers the Father gives to us. Ask the Father to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him better. That he may give you that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened to know him. That's a prayer we're going to come back to over the next several months. And then listen to what Jesus says in Luke in Luke eleven. Um, even earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to their kids. We know how to do that. How much more will the Father give the great gift, the Holy Spirit, to those who ask? So ask and keep asking. Give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will change me and I will not be slave to my own selfishness. That's a prayer he is sure to answer over these next months. Let us pray.
Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit. We pray that you would be at work in each one of us here. Be at work in our church. That in these months ahead, we would behold the Spirit of God in fresh, biblical ways that are truly life-changing. Root out our selfishness, our native selfishness that we so often coddle, and replace it with the vision of the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for this time today that we can marvel at the Holy Spirit. We pray your work in our families, in our friendships, in our marriages, on our relationships with those outside the church. Would you enable each one of us as part of this living temple to be beacons of light? And we ask these things in the name and for the sake of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.